So, welcome to City Harbor Church, a safe place to find and follow Jesus. This is the season of Advent in the traditional uh, Christian calendar, which is a season where Jesus' followers have spent time, set aside time and energy to celebrate their expectation of Jesus' birth on this earth, um, but also his return. We believe that Jesus will return as he predicted himself. And so this is a time of longing, of expectation, of uh, looking to God to make right things that we see that are wrong, um, and trying to bring ourselves back to focus on what has already been accomplished by the birth of Jesus, by the life of Jesus. And so we've been asking this question, what are you expecting? In the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about, I believe that for us going into 2019, that what God is going to do is bring a healing in us of our ability to hope, of our ability to expect something good in our relationship with God in this life and in this world, not just in this sweet by and by. It's something that I believe God is speaking to us, something that I believe is going to happen. Uh, but in this season of Advent, I want us to be focused on the person of Jesus. And so to that end, in looking at this question, what are you expecting? I'm calling us to consider who Jesus is and in what we find to find strength and joy. So three simple questions that we're looking at is who is Jesus? Why does this matter? And does this bring you joy? And we have in the past couple of weeks looked at Jesus, the uh, living word, Jesus, the living power. Today, I want to look at John chapter four and talk about Jesus and living water. So if you're available there with me, turn with me to John chapter four. We're going to look at this important story. Jesus knew the Pharisees, actually, and for those of you that were not here last week, we're picking up where we left off last week. We left off in the last verse of John chapter 3. John chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. In fact, um, the original language says Jesus was compelled to go through Samaria. And just to pause, brief moment of explanation. At this point, with the animosity between Jews and Samaritans, Samaritans who were essentially racially blended, they were half of Jewish descent and half not. And Jews felt superior to Samaritans and didn't want to associate with them. So you'll see marked a path there that Jesus took. And this is a about a four and a half day walk that Jesus takes. And most Jews would travel, they'd cross the River Jordan twice and to, so that they could travel completely around Samaria instead of traveling through it. So this is Jesus is making an intentional decision, and I believe everything about Jesus informs us about God. So Jesus was compelled to go through Samaria on the way. 
Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sikar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from the long walk, which of us last walked for four and a half days straight. He sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So this is, she's having a human moment. She's observing the, the, by Jesus' facial features that he's not one of them. But at the same time, he's there and his behavior suggests that he's different. He, there has to be something in his tone of voice. He's not dictating. He's not condescending. He's not put her down. Otherwise, her reaction would be different. So she's asking a question that I think is similar to what we should be asking this December. Who is Jesus? What is Jesus like? And she's noticing you're different. Jesus replied, verse 10, If you only knew the gift of God, the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you are greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Now, this is not the well that Jacob dug that you see marked out in scripture. This well is actually not referred to until this moment. And so, uh, what you might call an extra biblical. And scholars and historians are not entirely sure why Jacob would have dug this well because there was other water not far off. What historians presuppose is that there must have been at the time Jacob still having some insecurity about safety. And so this well was specifically dug for the purpose of safety. Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Now in this we have a little bit of ethnic pride. We have a little bit of, hey, we have some identity. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them and giving them eternal life. Now, a fresh, bubbling spring is something that was precious to them. Right? And this is a part of the world in this specific micro region, if you will, micro weather spot where they had to dig to get to the water. But people that lived in this time frame could walk to areas where they would discover a fresh spring of water bubbling up out of the ground. Now, at times that could get soiled, it could get contaminated. And to find a fresh bubbling spring of water that was pure, that was good to drink, that didn't cause you to keel over dead or get an infection or, or, or rot in your tummy, that was a precious thing. So this is, this is specific word picture that Jesus is using. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here and get water. Now, she's still 
not really has the point that he's talking about something spiritual. She's still talking about the natural. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Now, we need to pay attention to something. The prophetic word, the word of knowledge, we call it, that Jesus shared with her, he did not share in a judgmental, condescending, condemning way. Otherwise, her response would have been different. His tone of voice, the look on his eye. Look, pull up on Netflix the, the, the TV miniseries of, of Jesus and going through the New Testament. There is something we must consider. The look in his eye, the tone of his voice, his demeanor, his nonverbal communication, his body language. She said, you're a prophet. So tell me. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Now there's still something in her that is desiring a peaceful relationship with God. She's starting to detect this is about something spiritual. I've not been condemned even when my history has been revealed. There's a spiritual yearning and yet the Jews had turned what God had intended for good into something that was wrong. Well, many times in the Old Testament, God invited people who were not by their birth Jews into the family of God, and yet they had turned it into something overly formal, externally focused, and looked down upon others. And so she, she, she can't get over that in the cultural thing that it has become. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now in this we get an echo, we've unpacked this before, we'll briefly do it here now. An echo of Jesus' words in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Love God with all that you've got. And we get both a, hey, it is not about the physical temple, but it is about what is occurring spiritually in you where you worship. There will be a time where you can be made right through the Messiah. You can come with purity, with no longer an animal sacrifice for your sins and worship God spiritually and in truth. He says in truth because also what had been revealed through the Jews was the identity of God, the names of God, the character of God. Those are things that had already been revealed. And so we are to worship God with all we've got. And as we grow spiritually, not just with our whole spirit out of ignorance and staying in a form of spiritual maturity, but we are to grow in our understanding of truth. God wants to inform us. God God wants us to be learning so that our worship is fully passionate. And I 
am proposing to you today that if you will learn more about God with your mind, your heart will be inspired, your spirit will become inflamed, and your reasonable response will be to love God with all that you've got, to worship Him in spirit, in your full spirit, in a spiritual experience, and in the truth of who God is and who God has called us to be, to confess and repent of our sin, to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. The woman said, I know, she recognizes this as Messiah talk. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Jesus said, I am the Messiah. He uses the I am revelation word vocabulary of God. I am and the Messiah the sent one, the sacred one, the anointed one. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? This identity piece is very important in this story. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, he wants them to understand value. And he who has ears in the church today, would you hear the words of Jesus? I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other, where's his Big Mac? His bento box, his sushi Jesus explained, exclaimed, and explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are, are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is the, uh, the, is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know he is indeed the savior of the world. Oh, this December, if we would find who Jesus really is, he stayed an extra two days. He arrived where he was going to the Jews at the same time he would have if he took the old route around. Everything about Jesus informs us about God. Now, she would have had some understanding, and John, who writes this, definitely had understanding that this idea that Jesus speaks of, of living water, is not new. It's not a new idea. It's not new information. 
God reveals through the prophet Jeremiah when people had forsaken a worship of God in in favor of worshiping pagan idols, in fact, objects that they had made with their own hands, God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah these words, My people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. We have multiple issues going on, multiple truths going on in this story, definitely more than we can unpack today, but ones that would have been very obvious to them right on the surface. This living water speaks of if I am looking to God, if I am drawing from my relationship with God directly from God for myself as an individual, the sustenance for life, the energy for life, the living water, And God says through the prophet Jeremiah that it is an evil thing to look to other things for your sustenance in life, for living water. God says, they left me, the one who can truly satisfy. And we certainly see that in the interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well. Because what is Jesus talking about? That you would thirst no more. It doesn't take... A genius to connect the craving that she had in her own life, the desire for something else. It was also Jeremiah to whom God revealed that the human heart is deceitful and that of human desire there is no end. And Jesus sits down, he speaks with her. He recognizes that she has a yearning. She has a desire for something. I have lived this life. I have tried to find fulfillment and I am yet not at peace. Oh, that we would slow down enough to ask ourselves if we are loving God with all that we've got and drawing living water from Him, the true source. In the days of God's salvation, here's also how this image is through the prophet Isaiah. They will draw water from the wells of salvation. In the day of God's salvation. This is a prophecy. This is a messianic prophecy and a prophecy of the end times as well. Isaiah 49.10, they will neither hunger or thirst. This is not a new idea Jesus is speaking of. It would have resonated with them. Isaiah 44 and verse 3, the pouring out of God's spirit will be like pouring water on the thirsty land and streams on dry ground. Further end times prophecies through Zechariah and through Ezekiel, Pastor Rebecca referred to recently, on that day, life-giving waters will flow. Jesus' original language words specifically speak to a both provision from God of water that brings life. It's not just water that is magical, it's water that is bringing life to you and to her Getting a hold of it, grabbing it, taking it, be, I- ingesting it, making it a part of who she is. That's the language in which Jesus speaks. And that was not something that was foreign or entirely new. Isaiah 55 verses 1 through 3 would just lift one quote out of there. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters that your soul may live. Do you want to find strength and joy? This December, Jesus is the one who brings the living water that your soul may live. 
That whatever it is that frustrates you, that inhibits you, whatever it is that pulls you backward, would no longer have that effect on you. But instead, bubbling up like a spring of living water from inside of you would be the power of the living God. This is also not the only place that Jesus speaks of this. I want to read the whole section. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 41. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds. Now, if you pay attention when you read the stories of Jesus, there's not a whole lot of times where it says he shouted. So to me, like my ears perk up, right? Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare quote, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said, now this is the disciple John's explanation. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. John is explaining we later fully understood what he meant by this because we experienced it then and we are experiencing it now. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, he's the Messiah. Now again, this living water is connected to an identification of Jesus as the Messiah. That is the gift of God that was predicted, that had been predicted hundreds of times over thousands of years. The Messiah, the sent one, the anointed one, the sacred one, the messenger of the new covenant. That identity of who Jesus is, is directly connected to this bringing living water so that we would thirst no more. Does that sound good? I think that sounds good. So, let's just take kind of a plain, simple truth approach to this story before we go too far. What what do we learn? What do we learn from this? Well, Jesus is the source of of limitless spiritual life. Not you. Not your spouse. Not Christmas. Whatever that means to you. Not your employer. Not something to which you've attached your identity. Not something that you use to self-medicate? Not any substance? Jesus is the source of limitless spiritual life. Now, our natural life, our human bodies, may decay, may experience disease, may pass from this earth. 
But spiritual life that is within us overrides, transcends, is from another dimension, goes beyond, outlasts, outlives, is victorious in the face of this broken world and our frail bodies. Jesus is the source of limitless spiritual life. He's the bringer. He's the giver. The second, we can find peace and fulfillment through Jesus. There is victory in Jesus in the forgiveness of your sins in a transformation of bringing you new life here and now and ultimately when he returns, ultimate fulfillment, all that is wrong being made right. That is what will occur, which is why Jesus, when he first reveals his identity, Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1, speaks to the justice that God will bring on the great day of our Lord. For each of us personally, for what's going on in our homes, what's going on in our neighborhoods, what's going on in our city, our state, our nation, and the world, whether it is something outside of us or something that is inside of us that is vexing us, regardless of what it is, we can find peace and fulfillment in Jesus. We put the weight of our expectations and the need to make us happy on another human. It will always end in disappointment. It is Jesus in whom we can find peace and fulfillment. Number three, we will not be driven by cravings held down by guilt, lacking supply when we draw from Jesus. When I bring myself into alignment, when I come into a right standing relationship with God through Jesus, I don't need to worry about that stuff anymore. The following of Jesus is not shame culture. Shame culture has no place in following Jesus. Now you might have godly conviction of your sin that would bring you to change. That's a good thing. But anything outside of that needs to be kicked out, removed. Romans 8, 1, we now have no condemnation. Those who are in Christ Jesus. When we come into this place that Jesus as our source, we will not be, we are no longer driven by our cravings, our desires, our dreams, our ambitions, anything that is of flesh that will never be ultimately fulfilled in this life. We are no longer driven by that when we are finding in God a source of living water. I understand it's difficult to learn that lesson, but it is the truth. Now, so what should we do about this? Well, as I've said the last couple of weeks, first and foremost, receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. The scripture compels you. I compel you. Peter wrote, God is not willing that any should perish. God desires that all would come to repentance. So Jesus said, repent. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, In this case, as Jesus explained in John chapter 7, this is also about the Holy Spirit inside you. Jesus said some weird stuff. But we are supposed to receive God, the Holy Spirit. 
as our guide. God the Holy Spirit is the one who is our guide in truth. We are to receive God as our source of life. But quickly, I want to look at John 14, just before we close today, that Jesus explains a little bit more about this relationship with God the Holy Spirit. Just going to focus on two verses, John chapter 14, verses 26 through 27. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. The Holy Spirit is your guide. The Holy Spirit is your advocate. And he brings a peace of mind and heart. If you're at a place where you're not experiencing peace of mind and heart, then you are not drawing from God as your source through the Holy Spirit. We have got to learn to set aside anything else and through our daily contact with God, draw the love of God through the Holy Spirit. This week, we finished up a 40-day worship challenge. This past week, we gave everyone a book and spent multiple Sundays bringing explanation to it, but it was an invitation to give 15 minutes of the best energy of your daily life to spending time alone with God. Whether that was listening to worship music and just calming your mind and your spirit to think about the goodness of God, the love of God, the faithful love of God that is forever. Or it be in prayer and pouring out your heart and your requests before God. Be studying the word, spending time in personal relationship with God. We just finished up 40 days of that. But the primary purpose, the primary point is to help us Receive what Jesus is talking about. Jesus in this conversation in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well about living water and the Spirit. Jesus doesn't ever say anything so that we will be frustrated. He doesn't ever lay out something beautiful and wonderful just because we can't achieve it, can't receive it, can't experience it. No. God loves you. God's love for you is faithful. It's kind. It's encouraging. Jesus speaks about living water that we would thirst no more because it's possible. When we live in such a way where our mind is crowded, this is near impossible to experience. We can spend a lot of time stress praying our requests. And not experience peace. I've done it. We can spend a lot of time reading the scripture and not be experiencing peace. Communing with God, drawing on the living water of the Holy Spirit, a source within you is something that you experience. When you experience it, you know. When you're not experiencing it, you know. In the ancient times, they would, with the wells... They dug a well to a source of water, whether it be middle schoolers with pranks or raiding invaders. The wells could get clogged up with other stuff. Is your spirit clogged up with other stuff? Is there stuff on the inside of you that is 
inhibiting your ability to receive from the Holy Spirit. Your ability to commune with God. Your ability to slow down life so that you can have a loving union with God. There has never been a day better than today for you to carve out time to just receive the love of God. To say, Lord, I believe in my heart, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Here's what I've done that's wrong or not done that's right. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Wash me with cleansing water. Cleanse me. Wash away my sin. God said he would, though your sins be red as crimson, I will make them white as snow. God, cleanse me. Wash me clean from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Cleanse me. Let nothing take the place of you in my heart, O oh God. God, I come to you. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, be my source of living water that I would thirst no more? Who knows, but God might come to you. God might come to you like never before, and you might feel just a little bit tipsy. What should we do? Draw strength and joy from this personal relationship with God through daily contact. Make a plan. Before you leave today, decide when you're going to do it. When are you going to do it? You know, the reality is, we all have 24 hours a day. You will do what you want to do. You know, we had friends that came to us talking about moving away and, oh, we don't want to lose our friendship. We don't they said, hey, it's fine. Even if you live somewhere else, we'll, we'll still make time to have friendships because at the end of the day, you're going to do what you want to do. So maybe a part of what needs to happen is a repentance of God in my heart. I don't want to do this. God's not afraid of honesty. God, this is difficult. Listen, the path to help, the path to discovering the Holy Spirit inside you, bubbling up with living water, does not happen through being fake or dishonest. Speak the truth of your obstacle. God knows you better than anyone else. He loves you more than anyone else, and he offers you more than anyone else. Will you stand with me as we close in prayer today? Lord, we come to you today asking that you would forgive our sins, asking that you would cleanse us, asking that you would bring healing to us in spirit, soul, and body. And God, we today identify Jesus as Lord and Savior. Today, God, we say we will come to you Lord Jesus, we respond to your instruction that you send the Holy Spirit that brings life-giving, bubbling up, living water within us that we would thirst no more. And we say, Lord, forgive us for where we have allowed obstacles to that. Forgive us for where we have allowed our minds to be crowded, our schedules to be overfilled, ourselves to be overcommitted. Forgive us for that. Lord, we find it difficult at times. Forgive us and help us. Help us with our doubt. Help us with our unbelief. Help us. Lord, as we set aside time to be with you, 
that we would hear your voice, that we would receive the living water from you, that we would thirst no more. Help us to reach out to others, to invite them in. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.